Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. So apparently the top news today is that Donald Trump walked out of a meeting with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Trump offended by the fact that Pelosi said he's engaged in a cover-up. Trump then gave an impromptu press conference, like an impromptu speech, really. He didn't take that many questions in the Rose Garden. Why this is the top news of the day, I'm not certain. Now, I really am wondering this, folks. I'm a young man, 30 years old. I've been following the news as a news junkie and a political news junkie for a little over a decade now. Back when I really got going was in college over at Auburn. But I'm wondering, has the news always been this way? And what I mean by that is, has the news always been just an echo chamber to give the play-by-play of what political leaders said today? Has it always been this way? It's where my youth betrays me, my youth and inexperience. I don't know. I wasn't around in the 70s. I wasn't around in the 80s. I'd imagine things that presidents said or heads of the Democrat or Republican Party respectively said might make a little bit of news, but was it always the top story? Because when I see that as the top story today, and everybody's, of course, all their reactions, like one representative is saying Trump canceled the meeting as a stunt. Okay. Folks, it's all politics, and it's bad for you. I'm getting a little uh, worn down, not over... uh, a partisan point that I want my team to win because in many ways I don't necessarily have a team, but I'm getting a little worn down by the boring, constant reminders. One side pointing fingers at the other. They're just playing politics. Well, yeah, I thought that's what y'all are doing. Do you really think politics is about good faith conversations and debates to figure out what's true and best for the people? Give me a break. It's about winning power and wielding power. So the Democrats are continuing their investigations. They really are. You could claim the President of the United States is trying to get things done as he sees fit. He sees a problem and he tries to get things done. But he plays politics too because that's the name of the game. You play politics, you stir up the people, and you hope that you're winning the argument. You don't have to prove yourself a saint. You just have to prove the other guy, the other side, is more of a sinner than you. Speaking of which, 
Some guy who's more of a sinner than all of us, it seems, is Michael Avenatti. Today he was charged for stealing Stormy Daniels. Yes, the porn star claims she slept with Trump but then didn't sleep with him. It's unclear. Who cares? But apparently he stole, so the indictment reads, a lot of her money from the book she wrote about the whole sordid affair. Man, what a piece of work Michael Avenatti is. You know, I look at my own life. I look at a lot of my own friends and family members. Some people have more success than others. But sometimes I wonder what drives a person, what life experience, what sort of arrogance, hubris, whatever you want to call it, you have to have in your past and in your mind today in order for you to behave like Michael Avenatti. It's just, I guess you just get into that groove, into that rut. I got the Ferrari payments. I, I got to make off all these payments. I got to live this great lifestyle I'm so used to. So I'm going to take every case I can, get my face on television, and of course, the whores at places like CNN are more than willing to oblige people like Michael Avenatti. But when did the top news of the day, every day, become... What's going on in Washington, D.C.? It just seems a bit bizarre to me, a bit stilted. Now, enough complaining for the moment. We have a lot of problems here in this country. Some good things are happening in the country, some bad things. The politics is always, as usual, frustrating and crap. It's more the politics of scandal than it is that of policymaking. Which makes me a little suspicious that there is some policy making being done, but it's being done in the shadows while this kabuki theater of impeachment and investigation goes on and on. But I want to focus now on China. I've mentioned this before, and some of you might have heard about this before, but I think we're missing the boat if all we're focusing on when it comes to China is trade. And that's a long conversation. Instead, you know, Americans, people in the West, generally, I've thought this. It, you know, China's still communist. China's not where I would want to live, but China's better than they used to be. It's not Mao's China any longer. Unfortunately, with the rise of President Xi Jinping, President Xi has taken on this more strongman mantle. Labeled as anti-corruption reform campaigns, he's taken out a lot of his political rivals. He started to take more control of the economy. And the most chilling aspect is what the Chinese government, headed by Xi, is doing in terms of surveillance. Because, what, the United States has 300 million plus people? China has billions And so how do you control a population of billions? A population that's under the umbrella of China. They're Chinese, but you have to admit with a geographic area that vast, I mean, there's all sorts of different cultures and movements going on within what we call China. So how do you control that? Well, some of it is similar to what goes on in social media here in the United States. If you have arbitrary rules, 
an arbitrary enforcement of certain rules. Like, you're not supposed to bully people on Twitter, let's say. But some people seem to get away with bullying more than other people. And sometimes people are kicked off without much explanation. It's almost like certain people are just being made an example of. And in many ways, people think the goal is to get folks to self-censor. Twitter doesn't have to censor. The United States government doesn't have to censor. I think you see this with a lot of partisan peer pressure, for lack of a better word or term. They want people to just toe the line without having to actually enforce that line. But now China's getting a little more heavy-handed. Of course, much more heavy-handed than anything we have in this country. But the new technologies that in some ways have made our lives leaps and bounds better, or at least given us more opportunities in this country, a totalitarian state, and that's what they are, China is now using those technologies. In particular, when it comes to surveillance. I was just reading an article today where it's this God's eye point of view. These very impressive cameras that can essentially shoot for miles and miles wide from thousands and thousands and thousands of feet above the ground and pinpoint all the way down to your shoelaces. It's how high quality these cameras are. And now say you're driving down a highway in China and you get stopped by the police for whatever reason. A technician using this God's eye point of view can say, oh, that person's been pulled over. Let's zoom in. Oh, we recognize with facial technology, facial recognition technology. Oh, we know who that is. Now let's pull up. Oh, this is where they live. This is what they've, they're, where they've shopped at. These are their family members, the things they've posted on social media, the things they've been reported to have said. Here's what we think their beliefs are. And oh, by the way, here's their social credit score. And that's the thing that creeps me out the most, folks, the social credit score. You know, in a way, it, it just seems like, well, what, what is this? Why should we care about this? I think it's that this sort of technology could be used to service a Communist Party totalitarian government. But I think it could also be used by other powerful people with malevolent ideas in mind, or just selfish ideas in mind, to manipulate your behavior. So, imagine. Imagine calling a friend, only instead of a ringtone, you hear a police siren. And then a voice intoning, be careful in your dealings with this person. Would that put a damper on your relationship? (laughs) It's supposed to. Welcome to life in China's social credit system, where a low score can ruin your life in more ways than one. Say you arrive at the Beijing airport, intended to catch a flight to Canton, 1,200 miles south. The clerk at the ticket counter turns you away because you guessed it, your social credit score is too low. Not only are you publicly humiliated in the ticket line, you are then forced to travel by slow train. What should have been a three-hour flight becomes a 30-hour stop-and-go nightmare. You think, oh, that's just an inconvenience, but no, this inconvenience has come to be, come to pass, because 
the government has declared you untrustworthy. Well, glad we don't have this in the United States, at least not that I know of, because, well, I would definitely be deemed untrustworthy. I'm not much of a joiner. Like, even though I respect the ideals of the nation, the best ideals of the nation, I'm not much of a rah-rah, wave-the-flag guy. Never been that way. I think it was how I was raised. Raised to respect the sacrifices, respect the ideals of the nation, but I've never been... And it's not necessarily anything to do with the country. I've, when I was going to Auburn, I was never the guy who was always, like, rah-rah with all the cheers at the football game. It's just not me. Again, I'm not much of a joiner. But why would the government find somebody, the government in China, find somebody untrustworthy? It could be because you defaulted on a loan, made a mistake by criticizing some government policy online, or just spent too much time playing video games on the Internet. All of these actions, and many more, can cause your score to plummet, forcing citizens onto the most dreaded rung on China's deadbeat caste system. I think it's called Lololai. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but, you know, I don't speak Chinese. Sue me. The punishments are shocking, folks. The government algorithm will go as far as to install an quote-unquote embarrassing ringtone on the phones of the lowest level of this caste system, shaming them every time they get a call in public. But an embarrassing ringtone, flight bans, and slow trains are just the beginning of this dystopian nightmare that isn't a novel written by Aldous Huxley or George Orwell. It's now daily life in China for tens of millions of people. A low credit score will exclude you from well-paid jobs, make it impossible for you to get a house or a car loan or even book a hotel room. The government will slow down your internet connection, ban your children from attending private schools, and even post your profile on a public blacklist for all to see. Now, it's one thing nefarious enough that if this system is just dispassionate, disinterested, it is truly an algorithm that comes up with this score based on your behavior and the different behaviors the Communist Party of China wants you to engage in and doesn't want you to engage in. But I'd imagine that such an algorithm, given the power that it holds, wouldn't be dispassionate or disinterested. It wouldn't be some objective standard. It probably will be abused. It's probably built into the system. That even if we suspect you, without you having done anything, we're going to blacklist you. According to Australia's ABC News, the government has produced a quote-unquote deadbeat map via an app on WeChat, which shows a radar-style graphic identifying every, and here's this term again, essentially it's the lowest of the low. The lowest rung on the Chinese social ladder. It'll show a map, radar-style graphic identifying every of the lowest of the low in the vicinity of a user looking at this app on their phone. 
tapping on a person marked on the map reveals their personal information, including their full name, court case number, and the reason they have been labeled untrustworthy in the lowest of the low. Identity card numbers and home addresses are also partially shown. There are reports that those whose social credit score falls too low are preemptively arrested and sent to re-education camps. <laughs> Not because they have actually committed a crime, but because they are likely to. Elements of the system are in place throughout China as the government refines its algorithm. And the final rollout is scheduled to be in place nationwide, controlling billions by 2020. The government claims that its purpose is to enhance trust and social stability by creating a culture of sincerity that will restore social trust. But what it will actually create, of course, is a culture of fear and a nation of informants. This is because one of the ways that people can improve their own social credit score is to report on the supposed misdeeds of others. Individuals can earn points, for example, for reporting those who violate the new restrictions on religious practice, such as Christians who illegally meet to pray in private homes, or the Muslim Uyghurs and Kazakhs in China's far west, whom they spot praying in public, fasting during Ramadan, or just growing a beard. Of course, as the state progresses ever closer toward its goal of monitoring all of the activities of its citizens 24 hours a day, seven days a week, society itself becomes a virtual prison. Western criticism of this new system has been intense, and rightfully so. The Human Rights Watch organization describes it as, quote-unquote, chilling. In response, Chinese Communist Party publications scoff that Westerners are simply too unsophisticated to understand the wonders of the new system. In the words of China's Global Times, quote, the hypothetical theories of the West are based on their ignorance. The massive social credit system, it goes on to say, is simply beyond the understanding of Western countries. But we understand what is going on all too well. It's China's ancient totalitarian impulse. The absolute rule of the God Emperor over his subjects brought into the modern age. China's already formidable police state has been upgraded using big data, machine learning, facial recognition technology, and artificial intelligence into a fearsome cyborg of state control. The Chinese Communist Party has given birth to the world's first high-tech digital dictatorship. Not content to incarcerate its own population in a virtual prison, China is busily hawking its creation to like-minded socialist dictatorships. For instance, Maduro's Venezuela was China's first customer. This is chilling stuff. Very chilling stuff. 
for all this country, the United States faults, and there are plenty. I can't imagine facing a situation like that in China. Almost every aspect of your life is up for review. The big eye in the sky doesn't lie. That's what football coaches used to say to us. The big eye in the sky doesn't lie. But here's the thing. People are imperfect. And anybody that is always a little too good, I think, should be suspect. Not the other way around. This idea that you can have complete control, everything satisfied... A system of social shaming, putting people in their place. Well, that should send a chill up everybody's spine. But here in the United States, we argue about some creepy porn lawyer and his weird orangutan face. Yep, that's what's on the news tonight, folks. Michael Avenatti is a dirtbag. Shocking, I know. Donald Trump stormed out of a meeting. Well, that's a big deal, isn't it, folks? Nancy Pelosi claimed the president is engaged in a cover-up. Well, wow, I'm so surprised she would say something like that. In a way, I get what the news has to do. I get what the national news needs to do in order to keep viewers, but I think we need to wake up, pull our heads out of our asses, and understand... There are some major issues facing us going forward, at home and abroad. We aren't clear-eyed, open-eyed when it comes to these new technologies. We could end up being the victims ourselves without any room, well, for mistakes. It's a beautiful thing about freedom. It doesn't promise you a utopia doesn't promise you that everything will always work all the time. It just promises you the opportunity to succeed and to fail. It offers you the opportunity to make friends, but also offend the hell out of people. Because when you're allowed to offend people, when you're allowed to go against the grain, where you're allowed to crap on people's ideals, it isn't always pretty. Sometimes it's a big waste of time and you shouldn't do it. But sometimes it creates new ideas that save the society. That will be our strength against China going forward. Our strength will be that even though it looks like Americans are bitching and moaning all day long over petty, unimportant things, our strength will be that, yes, though it looks that way, we occasionally do the right thing. Oh, looks like I have guests just walked in the studio. Should be fun. We'll be right back, folks, after this quick break.
Kelly Clark. Oh, welcome back. The show is brought to you in part by Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. Eddie Bader, he's a great, great guy, but he's an even better real estate agent. He's a wizard when it comes to real estate. Changed his own life. He can help change yours. And if you're a potential first-time home buyer, I'm looking at one of Eddie Bader's listings right here for the Goodson Group. 3648 Bennett Drive. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath home in Forest Hills, wood flooring, and a sunroom. It is would be a fantastic place for a first-time home buyer. Only $80,000 is listed, and I'm sure that could be negotiated. There is so much out there in the River Region, if you're unaware. So many options. So if you give Eddie Bader a call at 322-0662, again, that number, 322-0662, he can talk to you about your situation, what you're looking for in life. Maybe you have a big family. Maybe you're a bachelor like myself. Whatever the reason is. Maybe you hit it big. You're rich. You want to live on the lake. Nothing wrong with that. Give Eddie Bader a call, and he can find the best fit for where you are currently in life. Great time to buy, and, well, it's also a good time to sell. It's just a blow-and-going market, the real estate market right now. So give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call. Again, that number, 322-0662, that number? 322-0662. There it is, and welcome, says Spotlo. Now, we have a guest here sitting in your lap that's not usually here in Say on hi. the show. Hi, Rose. Hi. How are you today? You have a good day. You were showing me your, you have a pony there. Show me what you got. And a unicorn. I got a... What are they? Oh, those are cool. Unicorn and pony. Yeah. You got names for them? Rosie. Rosie? Rosie the unicorn. Oh. Rose, how old are you? Two. You're two? Huh. Okay. <laughs> you throw me off my game, man. She's adorable. Rose, you're awesome. Better than last time. Last time she was, yeah. A year makes a big difference. Oh, absolutely. Definitely makes a big difference. Okay, here. <laughs> well, I've been talking about China tonight. Um, so what's going on over there? Well, have you heard about the social credit score thing? No, I have not. Yeah, that's what I was talking about uh, at the beginning of the show. And essentially, they will control every aspect of your life. And depending on the decisions you make, uh, you can be put in a certain class or cast. Rose, you just come alive when we turn the microphone. <laughs> which is great. Now you want to hang out? Here, draw. You want to draw? <laughs> no. But, yeah, essentially, they can put you in a certain class or cast to where it would stop you from, like we're talking about buying a home with Eddie Bader. Really? It would stop you from buying a home. They can stop you from getting an airplane ticket. Really? Or train ticket. They can, they even have created, for the people that are the lowest of the low as designated by this credit score, they can essentially they've added to social media apps so i could pull up an app right now and put on the radar finder for the lowest of the low and it'll show me oh seth made a bad decision if he drank too much or whatever so watch out for that guy he's they'll even install on your phone an embarrassing ringtone by chinese standards because you're the lowest of the low oh that's terrible i'm screwed and you can earn points though by snitching Oh. <laughs> on your fellows. I heard do Seth it. the other day did this thing. Uh, that equals stitches. Yeah. Well, but that if you're violent, then, uh, but if you're 
score gets low enough and you even haven't gotten violent yet, it's like, mm, we think he's about to commit a crime. Let's send him to a re-education camp. Really? Freaky stuff. That's terrible, man. Like, we're focused on North Korea, and North Korea deserves a lot of our uh, skepticism. We should be very wary of how malevolent that regime is. And, yeah, Russia, too. But I think the worst of them all, because of their power, their wealth now, is China. And this is not me saying, oh, we've got to start a war with them. We We need a cold war with them. We need to force China to change. I think we just need to be informed and know who they are. And we need to find in rounds, ways, it's like, you know, Air Free America, but like put it in front of them, essentially. Like try to reach Chinese people. But I mean, the social credit score, the idea is what's a trustworthy citizen? So if you're very trustworthy, we'll allow you to go to the United States and study because we know that you're not going to get those crazy American ideas in your head. But I think our best case scenario is being an example to the world and, I mean, being strong enough to deal with threats. But I was saying it on Monday. I think the United States is an empire, and what we should be trying to do, whether it's what Trump's doing or not, I'm I'm not certain. In a way, it's what he's doing, is consolidate the empire. Stop trying to expand. Start to sort of retract and draw new boundary lines. Reset the map, so to speak. On okay, the United States has been the all-powerful one for the last you know since World War II. So focus for on ourselves, last everybody else. You know, eighty years, but not just focus on ourselves. Be open to others. Be diplomatic. Trade with others, uh, and do whatever we can, and keep strong alliances and bonds. But stop trying to expand. Like for instance, when it comes to the Middle East, maybe we don't need to be involved with giving a big bear hug to Saudi Arabia. Maybe Israel can take care of themselves. They certainly have the military to do it. Maybe we don't need to be putting as much pressure on Iran. Uh, I don't know. These are all complicated questions, but the idea that the United States must be at every corner of the globe, we must have a plan for every potential battle that's out there, it just seems like a, a path to folly. And I think our biggest weakness, and it seems, we keep forgetting it, Our biggest weakness is the debt and deficits. Like, if we financially cannot survive going forward... Hey, Rose. Then, you know, look at your kid, man. Yeah, yeah. She's two, three. She's almost three. Almost three. Like, that is the future right there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm still worried about my own future. I don't have my own kids, but when I meet my, my friend's kids and I get thinking about that... Um, it gives me pause to think that this is what we're fighting for, but what kind of world am I creating for myself and for the next generation? And it's it's not necessarily a good one, the one we're setting up. What are you drawing, Rose? She's drawing draw. in a notebook right she now. She said a picture. A picture. Well, <laughs> I certainly hope so. But, you know, one thing that could take down the power of governments, you know, we've seen the... the so-called pyramid flattening in a lot of different aspects of life. Music's a great one. It Mm -hmm. used to be, in order to be a a big music artist or to have music in your home, you had to play it live. Yeah. And then uh, the phonograph comes around and you got like the John Philip Sousa's music was a big hit when the phonograph comes around. But then when popular music, as we know it, got big, you needed a very expensive studio, a record company, a publishing deal, and they'd take most of the, the, you know, they would take most of the, the money off the top. 
And what's happened now is there's a lot of these do-it-yourself musicians or bedroom musicians. Anybody can do it. Where, yeah, and they can they do everything. They're doing the promotion. They're putting themselves on social media. They don't need a middleman. They don't need some big central institution to run things for them. It's like radio. Mm-hmm. And now there's podcasts. And everybody's yeah, got and one. Every, it's like a, the printing press, but for the spoken word. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, but one area where this is yet to be really tested is with money. You know, I was an early adopter of Bitcoin. I wish I'd held on to the Bitcoin. Did you I, have some? I had six. Really? Which today they're around eight grand a piece. Really? Wow, that's yeah. 40 grand, man. Talk about sour grapes. Is How why much I did haven't. It cost? When I bought it yeah. initially, $90. Really? Yeah, I could have made a lot of money. That is insane. But I was impatient. I made some money, I'll be honest. But Did you? Yeah, I got out too early because necessity's of life. Yeah. But I, I wish I'd helped. Wow. How, how did you get them? I mean, what, what made you? I had early adopters, uh, like, in I was living with. Like, people actually mining Bitcoin, mining Litecoin, mining all sorts of stuff. Like, with, you know, we had the whole room dedicated to these opened computer frames with huge graphics cards hanging out of them and cool. even got the ASIC miner and you know I was learning all this stuff kind of on the fly technically and I never was very good at it but I at least knew this is in many ways the future it'll be Bitcoin or something like it I think the blockchain's amazing um, it came out this week that a certain congressman is finally up to speed on what Bitcoin's actually about alright it's roared back over the last few weeks. Many feared it was its terminal decline. This is a, also a tradition of Bitcoin. Oh, it reached $100. It dropped back down to $10. Oh, no, it's dead. No, it's no. a, you know, it went into the, you know, 14000 something like that, yeah, if not higher. That. And it dropped back down. People thought, oh, it's done. It busted. Go into your hand here. But it's roared back. Where's it at now? Since its peak in 2017. It's back around eight grand. Wow. Double what it began at the beginning of 2019. And it's often closely tied to public awareness of cryptocurrencies. And the latest Bitcoin bull run beginning in early April restarted the public debate on Bitcoin. And now a Democrat. I can do that. See? I Is that your hand, Rose? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's <laughs> she really drew her cool. hand. That's Way to go. You, you traced it? You outlined it? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but Congressman Brad Sherman has urged his colleagues to consider banning Bitcoin. What? And cryptocurrencies due to the threat they pose to U.S. international financial power, saying Bitcoin needs to be nipped in the bud. Really? When you're echoing Barney Fife, Congressman, I don't know if you're giving the best argument. Take some nerve right there. Here's a quote from him. An awful lot of our international power comes from the fact that the U.S. dollar is the standard unit of international finance and transactions. Fair enough, Sherman. Clearing through the New York Fed is critical for major oil and other transactions. You're giving away the game, Congressman. Don't tell everybody how we work. <laughs> it is the... Announced purpose of the supporters of cryptocurrency to take that power away from us, to put us in a position where the most significant sanctions we have against Iran, for example, would become irrelevant. Well, yeah, that's what early adopters were saying. That was the whole point of it. But the idea is that if you depoliticize money, it opens up a lot of avenues for actual freedom. And yes, does it take away power from the U.S. government? Uh, yeah, that's the, idea. that's the whole 
point. It allows users to move value around the world beyond the sight and reach of governments and law enforcement. It's often criticized for its ability to help terrorists, criminals, and tax evaders. I don't think tax evaders should be put up there with terrorists. Yeah, that's way that different. Seems a little silly. So whether it's to disempower our foreign policy or tax collection enforcement or traditional law enforcement, the advantage of crypto over sovereign currency is solely to aid the disempowerment of the United States and the rule of law. Oh, give me a break. That's such a tried and true statement. Anything that we don't like is against the rule of law. Give me a break. Exactly. Following this attack by Congressman Sherman on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general, a Bitcoin advocate, Anthony Pompliano, what a name, Pompliano, the founder of Morgan Creek Digital Assets, hit back saying any such laws would be nearly impossible to enforce. That's the thing. Governments will make laws, but technology will continue to advance. Though Sherman's right to be worried, he's right to be worried, Rose. Uh, Bitcoin, you try to ban it, it'll just drive more adoption of Bitcoin. He says international, like our money is international. No, it is. Is it? Really? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I guess in other countries. That's where our power, no, the congressman's not lying. That's where a lot of our power resides, is that the United States dollar is the world reserve currency. And by that is people essentially value all their assets, all their commodities, all oil, anything else compared to what we they have. they settle it at least they base off and they might have their own currencies they might have the euro they might have the renminbi or the yuan and yuan in uh china there are different currencies out there but they're all pegged in a way and put up against the u.s dollar in particular oil prices being set in the u.s dollar is a big effing deal to quote joe biden um, so while many people will claim Brad Sherman doesn't know what he's talking about, I would argue that his statement highlights that the congressman knows exactly what is happening. This is from the Bitcoin advocate. He sees the increased probability that we're moving to a world where non-sovereign currencies are the default, and it sounds like he's scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mr. Sherman realizes the United States and other countries with major currencies will lose considerable power. Oh, no. Government with less power. Oh, no. If they are no longer in control. While understanding of the technology's potential is accurate, it appears that the congressman does not understand the improbability of being able to ban ownership of these decentralized digital currencies. The laws could be created, but they would be nearly impossible to enforce. Meanwhile, a survey out this week found the percentage of people in the U.S. holding cryptocurrencies doubled over the last year. With almost three-quarters of those asked, 74%, now aware of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Over the past few years, the digital asset and blockchain sector has faced massive shifts. Despite the volatile crypto markets, they're seeing government and businesses adopting blockchain technology at a rapid pace. Because it just, it solves so many problems. And I don't want to get all technical and how it's a distributed ledger and all this crap. But it's a brilliant new technology. And it does not surprise me, just to make a general point about governments, that when something big and new comes around, they see it as a threat. Oh, yeah. Any, anything like that. That's a beautiful thing I was getting at about freedom. It's Facebook. Yeah. Well, because freedom can be messy. It can be very messy. doesn't always mean... You know, people don't always use their freedom well, is a mild way to put it. Freedom ain't free. But if you <clears throat> restrict the freedom because it's messy and some bad outcomes occur... Then you have the big problem of, okay, who's doing the restricting and to what ends? And that's where all your major political fights come from. Who has the power to control 
other people's lives and to what ends will they control them. And I tend to say, if you need to force your point of view and worldview on others, it's probably a pretty crappy point of view. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. If it can stand on its own, if you can justify yourself, if you can persuade others and inspire others to follow you, fine. Instead of manipulate them into right. what you do. But uh, I, I think the congressman uh, is on to something, but I think he's fighting a losing battle. I heard one a Bitcoin advocate say it's kind of like the gecko you stomp on, and then a few days later, it's not dead, it's turned into a Komodo dragon. And the more you try to restrict this stuff, of course it gets. Uh, the, the worse it will get. And I say good riddance. I think the, the seizing of money and the control of money is one of the most insidious, pervasive ways, not just the United States government, but all governments of the world control their populations. It is immense. Uh, in a way, it's a big game to keep the rich richer, too. Uh, because, you know, do you think the little guy's the one getting those you know low-interest lo- loans really early, really quickly? No, it's the big players. It's the big banks, the big developers who get that money first. And then we get inflation um, with the new money created. It's, it's a mess. But China now is, you know, given these trade fights going on, and I'm not a big fan of trade wars because they've historically speaking, led to actual wars and make everybody, you know, less prosperous. But China is now looking at, you know, more stringent responses to the U.S. government and to Donald Trump's policy. They're open to resuming trade talks, but they're now highlighting the risk of sourcing critical supplies from an increasingly hostile U.S. and are exploring ways for the country to cut its exposure to the U.S., this is an article from the South, what is it, uh, South China Morning Post. Big, essentially anything in China is a propaganda arm of the Chinese Communist Party. The idea that China should buy large amounts of natural gas from the U.S. must be revisited. This is a, from a senior fellow at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. It is, um, it's a strange, strange, brave new world, folks, and we got to be careful uh, going forward. Be prepared. Keep your eyes open. Yeah, I think we have too much of an obsession with Russia. I think when I really look at the threats abroad, and I don't mean threats, uh, I don't know if nationalism actually solves it, and by nationalism I don't mean you're proud of your country. Um, I mean like this idea that it's a great power competition, the U.S. and China, and I worry about that stuff because it's not just American nationalism, it's Chinese nationalism, it's Russian nationalism. There's no room for any sort of understanding or debate or growth. Especially with China, boy. When they want something, they will shove it in your face and make you. Yeah, but I think they are the the big nation we're going to have to reckon with. There's a idea in geopolitics called the World Island that if you, like, historically the British, their empire was naval-based. So if you could control the seas and the coastlines, even if you couldn't control, say, inland China, you could pretty much control the Asian continent. Mm -hmm. But if China, the world island idea, is if China can get rid of that ring of U.S. naval superiority in the East Pacific, the Asian Pacific, and then they can interconnect, and this is their idea of the Silk Road project, which is literal roads and railways and ways of shipping goods and people, but also, you know, inter- integrate their country and their economic system with places like India and Pakistan and Russia and all these other countries in that area. 
If you could connect the whole Asian continent, infrastructure, culturally, economically, and you can then control the seas, which China is now claiming we control, historically speaking, more of the South China Sea than what we've been granted under international law. We've got the maps to prove it. If you can do that, you will probably have one of the most powerful empires in world history. Oh, yeah. Which is saying something, given that the United States is probably the most powerful empire in world history currently. And I don't mean that nefariously. I mean, it's just a fact. Yeah. We're a commercial empire. We you know, rely on naval power as well as nuclear deterrence. We rely on a very strong military, but we also rely on what we were just talking about, monetary dominance. We have the world reserve currency, and we, we use that power. That's what we're using against Iran. So where does this go? I don't think anybody knows. People have inklings. It's a shot in the dark. That's why I like geopolitics so much, because there's not necessarily a clear answer to these very complicated problems. But I think if Trump can find some understanding of the Trump administration or whomever, I don't. this is my big deal. Like, the news is so hung up on this impeachment fight. Okay, you impeach Trump. It's Mike Pence now. Like, I, I don't care who it is. There are big problems facing us, and we need to figure out these big problems. And China is one of the most difficult issues, not necessarily an enemy meant for war, but it's one of the biggest, most complicated issues staring us right in the face. So, I mean, you have to give credit to Trump, and I don't always agree with this rhetoric when it comes to China, but you have to give credit to him that he's engaged them in some way. You have to give oh, yeah. credit that he's engaged North Korea in some way. And I hope it works out. Maybe it doesn't. I feel like that's a lot more than other folks have. But what gets lost is this this point scoring, this you know partisan re- you know charade that passes for debate, which is really just lowbrow. It's almost like WWE without all the great athletic stunts. <laughs> you know, it's it's absurd. Like really, I start off the show by saying, when did whatever the politicians, some stupid spat between the president and the speaker of the house, when did that become huge major news? Like, yeah, we know their positions. We know who they are. How about some character development? Let's move the plot along here. This story, America season whatever, is getting a little boring here. Uh-huh. A lot worse than Game of Thrones. That's, that's the thing. Life is always uh, a lot more... It's much more boring yeah. than, uh, than the stories we tell. Ugh. So, I don't know. It's very chilling what's coming out of China, though, folks. The social credit score... Uh, the fact that they're starting to feel their oats as a people and a government that sees themselves as being wronged by the West for a century, from around the eight, mid-1800s into the 1900s, and in some ways they have a case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that sort of resentment that's inspiring this new century of China uh, should make everybody pay attention. Yeah, We've got nice. big issues facing us. and Bad direction. All these stupid squabbles in D.C. do not service us in that way. Rose, I thank you for coming and hanging out with us tonight. Tim, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, you can join us anytime you like, okay? <laughs> thank you very much, man, for letting me bring it yeah, up. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow night, folks. Good job. Taj Maverick in the house. New music to Woo. reveal. It'll be fun. <laughs> Joey Clark.